identity. In this high place, it's as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step towards the cold surface. Say the old prayer of rough love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There, in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. David White Our fear of death is based on a fundamental misconception about who dies and what is deathless. When Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, he was equating thinking with identity. Plato ventured the same idea 2,000 years earlier, and its influence has permeated philosophical thought and Western conceptions of identity ever since. As a result, most of us have an identity that's synonymous with our idea of ourselves. We have little sense that what we call our true self could be anything but a thought-based identity. The human mind is a powerful tool, and with exceptional capacities and achievements to its credit. It has split atoms, created symphonic masterpieces, and flown us to the moon and back. But identifying with thought, that is holding a belief that I am my thoughts, and that my thoughts are always true, creates a filter or screen of ideas and concepts and judgments that hinder true, direct relationship. This mind-made identity separates us from our fellow humans and the world by creating the illusion that there's a so-called me and a totally separate you or other. In 1971, the Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell had an epiphany about his identity during his return flight to Earth after walking on the moon. Suddenly, his idea of separation collapsed on itself. The biggest joy was on the way home. In my cockpit window, every two minutes, the Earth, the Moon, the Sun, and the whole 360-degree panorama of the heavens. And that was a powerful, overwhelming experience. Suddenly I realised that the molecules of my body, the molecules of the spacecraft, the molecules in the bodies of my partners were prototyped, manufactured, in some ancient generation of stars. And that was an overwhelming sense of oneness, of connectedness. It wasn't them and us. It's me. It's all one thing. And it was accompanied by an ecstasy. Oh my God, yes. An insight. An epiphany. Some Eastern philosophers argue that thinking and consciousness aren't the same, viewing thought as an aspect of consciousness. According to this view, thinking can't exist without consciousness, but consciousness, or awareness, doesn't require cognitive thought. Further, the proposition put by some Eastern philosophers that says, I am not my mind, has little to no acceptance in Western philosophy. Whether we know it or not, we're all Cartesians. But this mind identification identity game has important consequences. It means we derive our sense of ourself, I am, solely from the content and activity of our minds, and this mind-based self, or ego, 
exists only by thinking. One effect of identifying with our thought-based ideas of ourselves is to make thinking compulsive, because without it, our sense of self dissolves. Ego needs thought to exist, and non-existence is intolerable to us, because it means the death of self. Another consequence is that our minds appear to have no off-switch, and so we live with an incessant internal monologue. This continuous mental chatter stops a lot of us from experiencing inner quiet or any true sense of union. In turn, this feeling of disunity reinforces a belief that I truly am a separate self, a lonely, atomized fragment in a vast and alien universe. This mind-based identity finds the most compelling evidence for its existence in the past and the future. It seeks comfort and solidity in biography and memory and past achievements, as well as its plans and hopes for the future. But death represents annihilation from mind-based ego identity. If I am my thoughts, and dying ends in the death of my body and mind, then death is the end of self. The myth scholar Joseph Campbell put it like this, the universal self becomes divided immediately after conceiving and uttering the pronoun I. This illustrates the fundamental Indian conviction that a sense of ego is the root of the world of illusion. Ego generates fear and desire, and these are the passions that animate all life and even all being. For it is only after the concept I has been established that the fear of one's own destruction can develop or any desire for personal enjoyment. Sogyo Rinpoche expressed the same insight as to why a separate ego identity is the root of our fear of death. Perhaps the deepest reason why we are afraid of death is because we do not know who we are. We believe in a personal, unique and separate identity. But if we dare examine it, we find that this identity depends entirely on an endless collection of things to prop it up. Our name, our biography, our partners, family, home, job, friends, credit cards. It's on their fragile and transient support that we rely for our security. So when they're all taken away, will we have any idea of who we are? Without familiar props, we're faced with just ourselves, a person we don't know, an unnerving stranger with whom we've been living all the time but we never really wanted to meet. Isn't that why we have tried to fill every moment of time with noise and activity, however boring or trivial, to ensure that we are never left in silence with this stranger on our own? From time to time we all experience moments of silence when the mind stops its internal monologue. This might happen when we're awed by the beauty of nature, absorbed in the detail of a painting, or if we practice meditation. When we experience this mind gap, we experience pure awareness unsullied by thoughts, judgments or attitudes. In that moment we experience 
another ever-present dimension of ourselves that shines through when thinking subsides. Being present without mental labelling can be a deeply satisfying experience. We experience life unfolding moment by moment, and by so doing we enter the vast, quiet stillness that lies beyond mind activity and physical form. This stillness is available at any moment. Our life is literally happening now, not in the past or the future. So being present lets us catch up with ourselves and with life. When we're present to this unfolding moment, we aren't our ideas or beliefs or mental imaginings. We're not our memories or imagined futures. We're not our opinions of ourselves or the opinions of others. These are simply thought-based phenomena, not reality, although they often cast a long shadow over our sense of ourselves and our experience of life. The truth is, we've turned dying and death into monsters through our mental imaginings of the future. Many of us literally believe these mental phantoms, and their effect is often a limitless and unrelenting fear. Imagine your worst idea of your dying and death, and then obsess over it, forever. That's what many of us have got ourselves into. And what do we fear? We fear the pain of dying. We fear losing control, physically, emotionally, mentally. We fear losing our dignity. We fear being a burden to our families and our loved ones. We fear that we won't be good enough to face our dying and our death. We fear being annihilated. We fear saying goodbye to everyone and everything that's precious. We fear dying with unfinished business. We fear dying with unresolved arguments. We fear dying and not being forgiven our wrongdoings, our sins, and the pain we've caused so many people. We fear judgment day. We fear hell. We fear dying alone with nobody to hold us or pray for us. We fear dying with an inadequate legacy. We fear being forgotten. We fear dying without tasting the sweetness of life and love we were promised. We fear dying without getting what we came for, what we gave birth for. We fear the unknown. We fear the future. The truth is our life is happening now and its fullness is available this instant if we open to it. Our inexpressible vastness, the true wonder of what we are, is too big for anything we can dream or imagine and too immense for any thought. But cracking our hearts wide open might be the way through. When dying and death arrive, they'll happen in the present, not the future. Nobody knows the precise details of what these mysteries will ask, but when they come, we can be sure we'll be called to open ourselves in the same way that life calls to us now.